Good morning, Freedom Fellowship. What a houseful today. This is awesome. It's great to be here where the fields are on fire with the glory of God. That is the word that I gave your pastors last December, that in this region of Ohio, the fields of harvest, once again, I'm not talking about corn and soybeans. I grew up in Illinois, so I know corn and soybeans. But I'm saying to you that the fields of, are on fire. The fields of harvest are on fire. And you are those that Jesus has called out to be harvesters, to go forth and with the glory of God, harvest the souls. And I'm telling you, the glory of God is in this region in a very significant way. Could I get an agreement in the room, anybody? I hope you'll respond to me as I give you words that you agree with. Uh, nice surprise this morning. Uh, I have two friends that uh, were actually members of my church in uh, Illinois. For those of you that did not know, my last church that I pastored was a charismatic Mennonite church, uh, Trinity Mennonite Church in Morton, Illinois. And for those of you leaders, you know that I told the story about the Community Harvest Food Pantry uh, that we established in 2008. And there were, there were two women that came to me and said they had a dream to establish the food pantry. And one of those women was the amazing Susan Wegeman, who is here with her husband, Bob. Would you guys just stand? We would, come on, give it up for these guys, will you? Love you guys. They're with Bethel Cleveland. But such a, such a blessing. Good to see you. <clears throat> so before I get started, um, cl close to nine years ago, my... Why, by the way, I have an amazing wife. Her name is Roxanne. We'll be married 40 years this year. Uh, I ask you to pray for her. She's undergoing uh, a real problem in her spine that does not allow her to get out of bed, and we're believing for a miracle for that in Jesus' name. So just thank you for your prayers. I have three children. I have five grandchildren, and I am a greatly blessed man. But about close to nine years ago, uh, Roxanne's uh, youngest sibling, her brother, who was 37 years of age, was diagnosed with stage 4 glioblastoma cancer. If you know anything about glioblastoma cancer, you know that it's a death sentence, that he was given a, a life sentence, basically, that uh, he, with chemotherapy and radiation, he had a 15-month window to live. Without chemotherapy and radiation, he would probably only last six weeks. When we... Uh, when the family gathered together to pray for him, uh, God kept telling me, tell your brother-in-law that he's going to live and not die from this cancer. And because I'm a pastor, I was really concerned about everybody in the room because not everybody was saved. And finally, it took God three times to finally, uh, I, I felt I was almost going to lose my salvation if I didn't give the word. But, you know, I was, I was, I was concerned because, you know, how many of you know you get the what-ifs? Anybody know the what ifs? What if he dies? What happens to all these people's faith? We act like we're God and, and he's not. But anyway, I gave that word and um, I, I just want to say that my uh, brother-in-law, Brian Gardner, uh, just graduated from his second year at Global School of Supernatural Ministry. We're nine years later and he's completely cancer-free. <clears throat> there is... There are no statistics in medical knowledge of anybody that survives his stage of glioblastoma past the fifth year. 
So he is a walking miracle. I give you that testimony this morning because I hate cancer. And I want everybody who's in this room right now who's carrying any kind of cancer in their body to stand up right now in Jesus' name. If you're carrying cancer, stand up right now. Thank you, Jesus. If you have a child or a spouse that has cancer, you can stand up as well. Extend your hands. This is a body ministry. This is not my catchings ministry. This is body ministry right now. A couple of you want to get around. Stand, stand. One or two of you come around and stand next to these dear ones. <clears throat> if you pray in prayer language, pray. Pray, just begin. Come on. Stir it up, body of Christ. Stir it up, stir it up, stir it up, stir it up. I want to declare that Freedom Fellowship Church is going to become a cancer is going to become a cancer-free zone. It's going to become a place that there's a glory and anointing for for getting rid of cancer in people's bodies and people will come from all over this region to come here. And so in the name of Jesus, I speak to the every cancerous cell in every one of these bodies right now in the name of Jesus. I declare it is not the will of God for you to have cancer, that cancer is an invader. And in the name of Jesus, what we tell to invaders that have no place in our bodies, we say, in the name of Jesus, leave. We command every cancerous cell to dry up and die in the name of Jesus. We cancel every diagnosis from doctors that says you're going to die from this or you're going to have this for the rest of your days. I say in Jesus' name, we cancel those diagnoses as well in the name of Jesus. We command for the immune systems to be super turbocharged by the power of the Holy Spirit in them right now in Jesus' name and for the good blood cells to eat up the bad cancer cells in Jesus' name so that they're literally consumed within these bodies in the name of Jesus. All tumors dry up and die completely in Jesus' name. And I declare life, life, life. The same spirit that raised Jesus' dead body from the grave lives in you. And I declare in Jesus' name healing, strength, power, grace, and life into every part of your being. Every place that cancer has touched, Holy Spirit, come and fill that place now. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Give it up. Thank, give thanks to God for what he's going to do for these wonderful people. I also got, um, I mean, this is what we do at Global Awakening. By the way, how many of you have been involved in anything with Global Awakening at all? Would you just wave your hand at me? Oh, that's cool. Awesome. We love you guys. Um, I got L5 and S1 and 2. Uh, which is in the spine. It's about right in the middle of the back, and it's a place of a tremendous amount of pain for some of you in this room. Uh, if L5, S1, and 2 speaks to you, that that's a place where there's been a rupture, or there's pain, or there's there's something going on here where you have difficulty bending over would, or doing anything, would you just stand right now? Is that anybody? Oh, Okay, scoliosis will work. Yep. L5, S1, and 2 specifically. Okay, thank you, Jesus. L5, S1, and 2. L5, S1, and 2. It's actually, L5 and S1 is a joint in the spine. And so this is where a lot of time injury takes place. So once again, extend your hands out to these folks. Many times when the word comes, 
that, all, uh, that already brings healing. But right now, in Jesus' name, come in power, Holy Spirit. Come in power, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we speak to the L5 and the S1 and 2 and to scoliosis in Jesus' name. We break the power of the trauma of injury that took place that caused this spine to be out of alignment. And in the name of Jesus, we declare right alignment. Right, right now again, let there be a shifting in your spine, even as we speak. Let there be a shifting in your spine so that your vertebrae and your discs come back right into alignment in Jesus' name. I also break the power of the diagnosis of degenerative disc disease in the name of Jesus. And we command that that diagnosis is canceled off of you, that the rest of your spine is not going to degenerate, but there's healing virtue that's flowing right now into every spine in Jesus' name. And I break the power of every spirit of affliction, of pain, that continues to attack you and make you miserable and torment you, not only during the day, but specifically at night. There's somebody here that your back pain exacerbates. It gets really, really intense at night nighttime. And I break the power of that spirit of affliction that comes on you in Jesus' name. And I declare life, life, healing, and strength into your spine. And all right now, let all the vertebrae and the discs come right back into alignment the way that you were originally created in Jesus' name. All right. Wait a minute. I didn't tell you to sit down. Check your body out. Check it out. Do something that you couldn't do. And if your pain has at least, has decreased at least 50%, wave your hand at me. If, if your pain, there's one. If your pain, check your body out. Turn around, check it out. There's one. There's two. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Bless you. How's your pain? You good? Good. Hallelujah. That's good. Praise God. Well, hi, I'm Mike Hutchings, and I'm just a boy from Illinois. That's who I am. Even though I live in Pennsylvania, I was born and raised. Any Illinoisans in the room? Anybody? A few of you? Nobody? It's all Ohio here, isn't it? Okay. That's all right. It's all right. So uh, I pastored for 35 years, and then uh, my friend Randy Clark, who I knew, uh, we knew each other's Baptist pastors back in 1983 and 1984, uh, and I was part of the meetings, and by the way, Joni Lynch, Lynch, is that you? She was at the vineyard in Anaheim, California, that sent Blaine Cook, Ken Fish, and Scott Palazzo. What? Yeah, Scott Palazzo, and another guy, I can't remember who the other guy was, but anyway, I think there was a team of three or four. But anyway, Joni was at that church when, uh, when they sent the team to Randy's church in March of 1984. And uh, it was, we, it, the name of Randy's church was Spillertown Baptist Church. And those of us who were part of those meetings for four days, afterwards, we called those series of meetings the Spillertown Massacre. Uh, because first of all, how many of you have been in a meeting that you didn't realize how real God was, and then God shows up, and he's real, and you've never been the same again? Anybody know that feeling? 
that was what happened there. I mean, we, 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 I had an encounter with God where not only was I impacted personally, but my theology as a Baptist pastor had to shift significantly. I had a significant paradigm shift when Blaine Cook stood up and taught a message on the kingdom of God that rocked my world forever. Secondly, the reason why a lot of us who were pastors and leaders called it the Spiller Town Massacre was because most of us pastors lost our jobs within the next six months. Because, you know, Baptist deacons don't like the Spirit of God to show up in the middle of service. But that's okay. God used it, and it's, it's awesome. So today, I want to share with you uh, just a message uh, that I have had the privilege of going uh, throughout this country and in five other countries about the heart of God to bring healing to all trauma. In November of 2012, I had the privilege in Urbana, Illinois, to pray for an Iraqi war veteran who had severe post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. He was suicidal. He had chronic nerve pain. He couldn't sleep at night. He had insomnia. He had night sweats. He had night terrors. Uh, his life was falling apart. And Randy asked me if I would pray for this guy. And honestly, I had never prayed for anybody with post-traumatic stress that I could remember. So our mentor, John Wimber, taught us that when, before you go to pray for somebody, the first thing you need to pray is, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do here? Say that with me. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do here? That's a great prayer, guys. I mean, I'm just going to say, when you don't know how to pray, just pray that prayer. I got a download from the Holy Spirit about how to pray. And in the midst of that, this, uh, this amazing man, a, a veteran of over 20 years, had been retired five years, he got completely healed of everything related to his trauma. And I was really thankful about that, really, really happy about it. I thought, well, you know, it's, it's like anything else. Um, you know, you just kind of move on. And then for the next year, I, you know how God begins to make you a divine magnet for people? You people begin to get drawn to you. And over that next year, I discovered that every person I prayed for who had a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder or who was carrying any kind of trauma, they were all getting healed. And it was just, it was just an incredible thing. And so what came as a complete surprise to me, uh, guys, I want to tell you something. There are things that God has for you to do that are not even on your radar yet. I was 58 years old when I came to Randy's ministry. So at 59 years old, I'm entering into a ministry that wasn't in, even on my radar for the first 59 years. Do you get it? Anybody over 50, do you understand that maybe your best years of ministry are yet ahead for you? Do you get it that some of the greatest healings and miracles and glory is going to come for you? You're not on the wind-down time, you're on the wind-up time. We're not retiring, we're refiring into what God created us for in the first place. Could I get an agreement in the room, anybody? So one of those, one, the third guy that I prayed for was at Bethel Church in Redding, California during a healing uh, conference. And I, because this particular testimony is really long, I have a tendency sometimes not to show it, but you guys are here, right? You're, you're okay for right now? You're not hungry yet? We can stay a little bit? So I want to show you this testimony 
of a man named Adrian, and uh, you'll hear Randy tell the story of the guy that I first prayed for, and then Adrian's going to tell his story. About seven minutes into it, if you've ever been to Randy Clark meeting, Randy likes to keep his, the testimony short, so he'll say, let's praise God for Adrian. But Adrian's not done yet with his testimony, so people will clap and everything like that. So uh, I want to show the number three Bethel Redding uh, testimony of Randy and A Randy telling the story and Adrian. So whenever you've got that up, go for it, guys. Hey, how you doing? Let me tell you first about what happened a few weeks ago, and then what happened now, and Adrian tell about last night. How many uh, veterans of the uh, wars in the Middle East do we have in our presence tonight? If you've served in Iraq or Afghanistan, somewhere in the Middle East, would you just lift your hands? We have any. Um, you know, this war, like all wars, has casualties. Sometimes it's more than shrapnel. And one of the huge things that we're facing as a country, so many uh, veterans coming back with PTSD. Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And a few, uh, several weeks ago, uh, a young man came up to us in Illinois at a large vineyard, and he, he, he told me, uh, you gotta pray for me. I've, ever since I came back from Iraq, I've had night sweats, and I've had terrible dreams, and I've been tormented every night, and my life has been miserable, and it's, uh, and, and, so, and it's, it's so bad that his wife is going to have to have surgery as well. And so Mike, our director of our school, he, uh, he was with me. I said, Mike, pray. And as he began to pray, something happened to this man named Ron, who was a veteran. And the next day, Madison said, I had no night terrors, no night sweats. I have been at peace. And my wife was healed as she was facing back surgery for in her lumbar area, she got healed at the same time. This is now weeks later, we're still getting emails from him, and not only that, but he has such, had such a healing, not one problem since then, that he is praying for all the veterans in the church that they too would be healed of the PTSD. So last, was it last night you came up? Monday night, Adrian came up, I believe it's right there, or somewhere right there, and I knelt down and I asked, what do you need? And he told me, so you take it from there and tell us what's happened. Well, Monday night when Mr. Clark was handing out the books, he had handed out a book on identity, and that's why I had to get to him. And I knew I couldn't went to the bookstore and get it, but something kept telling me, no, you need to go ask Randy Clark what the title of that book was. And you need to ask him specifically. And I was like, no, no, I'm just gonna go to the bookstore. But anyway, I made my way up here. The crowds parted like the Red Sea. I didn't know how I was getting here. And I asked him the title of the book and he told me, and he said, well, why do you need it? I said, I lost my identity quite a few wars ago and I was trying to find myself. And he said, you don't need that book. Let me call up a team member to pray for you. But what was even better was that I think, I don't know, I'm speaking on your behalf, but I feel that he sensed that if he left me to wait for the team member, I was bolting for the door. Because I was scared, I was terrified, I was getting surrounded by the crowds, I was nervous, 
I wanted to get out of here, I was looking for a threat. But he didn't let me go, he took his mic off and he sat with me. Can't thank you enough for doing that for me. Before I go on, there is freedom in Jesus. I didn't come here to get prayer for PTSD. I've come here because I've been living with chronic nerve pain in my arms and legs for the last five years, five plus years now, until tonight. And I met a couple in Lubbock, Texas, not where I'm from, but where I retired to, that was from associated with Bethel, and they prayed for me, and that was the first time I ever experienced real prayer. That's when my breakthrough started was April of 2011. In September of 2011, I came to visit the healing rooms. I was in a lot of pain. I, I just looked at my medicine records a few days ago. I had six or seven sheets of medicine with about 15 to 20 meds per sheet that I've been on in the last uh, five plus years. Long story short, I was seeing breakthrough. It was coming, but it was slow. It didn't happen overnight. Sometimes it would go away and it would come back. So I'm thinking, why do I have to deal with this PTSD? I came here for my nerve pain. God, what is going on? I want this pain out of my body because it's like cutting yourself with razor blades, having acid poured on your skin and your bones crushed 24-7. You can't breathe. I couldn't play with my kids. I couldn't be with my wife. I lost my love of music because the, the sound and the vibration was so intense. I have to sit at the back of the church or by the exit. I couldn't stand bright lights. So my senses kind of got dull. All that's gone. And so when Mike came and, and prayed for you, did, 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 what happened? Uh, Mike came and prayed for me and he held on to my wrist. And I started to panic because I did not want to be restrained. I don't think I could take Mike. He's a big guy, but I think I could take him, <laughs> even in my weakened state. But what Mike did for me and what Jesus did through Mike to me was he made me look at his eyes and he wouldn't let me put my head down. And I kept wanting to put my head down because I didn't realize the guilt and the shame I was carrying from the horrific and horrible events that I cannot even put into words nor do I want to because I don't see those images anymore and I don't feel that pain. <laughs> On the 10th of January, I went to my doctor with my wife, you know, I've been about 100 different doctors and specialists for my nerves and the PTSD, and I asked him, I said, uh, does PTSD ever go away? You know, can it be cured? Is there a medicine? What's the answer? Because, you know, I'm always thinking about taking my life. I'm always, and everything's intense for me and my family. And they said, no, you don't ever lose PTSD. Well, the devil is a lie, and so is that doctor. Amen, amen. So Monday night, I, you know, I got prayer from Mike, and as he was praying for me, I was crying, I was sweating, and, and I kept putting my head down. He said, look at my face. I said, don't tell me what to do. And he's like, I'm not letting you go until you look at me. And so he just kind of walked me through the stages, and. I can't even tell you what all of them were, but it was a short prayer. It was only five minutes. It wasn't nothing deep, but it was like Jesus was touching my hand and he was speaking to me. And I felt a peace that I hadn't felt since I was probably a young child. And I walked in the door of my house Monday night and 
kind of floated in the house, I guess. <laughs> and my wife said to me, she said, Hey, what happened? I said, I'm free. <laughs> She's only lived with me since I've had this PTSD. She's lived in the nightmares. She's lived in being attacked in my sleep. She's lived in fear. My kids have dealt with it. She's lived through all the medication. But since then, in the last two days, I've played with my kids. I've held them. I've hugged them. I haven't been afraid of what's on TV, what's outside. And even better, when I, before I came here tonight, I just got to say this. I was still having a pain in my wrist, but I said, God, you've been so good. You've already brought me through. You got me out of bed. You got me out of the wheelchair. You got me off all these medications and narcotics. And tonight, when I go there, it's going to be done. And I don't need prayer because I'm just going there to glorify what you did for me. As I'll sit in the lobby over there at five minutes to six. I'll sit there waiting for them to open the doors. And all of a sudden, I felt my left hand. And I looked down, and I was like, hand? You're back. And nobody prayed for me. There was no worship going on. I got on the phone and I called my wife and I said, Thank you, Jesus. Not only am I at peace, I have no more pain. I can touch my hands. I can clap my hands. I can feel my fingers. I can dance. And the music didn't hurt me. The lights don't hurt me. So the, the end of that message is, you get free of PTSD and you become a preacher. So, Adrian has gone on, he's retired from the military, but he's gone on, he's free of all of his trauma, free of all of his chronic nerve pain. He's, he and his wife have actually had two more kids and they're expecting another child. So they're gonna end up with like five kids by the time this is all over with. So uh, God is faithful. Guys, Everybody look at me. The first thing you need to know is this. Everybody has trauma. Everybody at one time or another in your life have experienced some kind of trauma. The question is not whether you've had trauma. The question is, does it still haunt you today? Does it still affect the way you think, the way you feel, the way you live, how you think about yourself? Everybody has trauma. Turn to somebody and say that, would you, real quick? Say, everybody has trauma. And right there, we just broke a major lie of the spirit of trauma that the spirit of trauma tells to everybody that says, nobody's been through what you've been through. Nobody can understand the trauma that you've been through. You don't want to talk about your trauma because there's too much shame attached to it, too much guilt attached to it. Well, the good news that I have for you today 
is that Jesus suffered trauma on your behalf so that yours could be healed. I'll say it again. Jesus suffered trauma on your behalf so that you, your trauma can be healed. It, <clears throat> Let's go to the PowerPoint if we could, guys. Thank you. In Psalm 34, 18, next slide if you would, immediately. David writes, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. For me, this is a perfect description of what it means to carry unresolved trauma. The word brokenhearted literally means a shattered soul. That is, the soul that is part of who you are, we're a tripartite being, we're body, we're soul, and we're spirit. Your soul is where there are four components in your soul. The first component is your mind, that is the way you think. The second component is your will, the way that you choose, God bless you. The third component is your emotions, how you feel, and the fourth component is your identity, who you think you really are. What trauma does when you experience it is that the event, and by the way, what, a, what trauma is is experiencing an event where you feel threatened, where you feel in danger, or where you've actually been in danger, or you've been hurt or wounded in some way. It is something that can happen to you, but it can also be something that you actually witnessed, or you, somebody asked me, is growing up in a home where there was a lot of violence traumatic? And I said, absolutely it is. But I want you to understand that trauma is not a mental disorder, it's not a mental disease. It's not a mental weakness. It's a soul injury. Say this with me. Soul injury. It's something that happens when we encounter things that impact how we think, how we choose, how we feel, and who we think we are. David is probably, for me, the best example of somebody who I believe was one of the most traumatized men in the entire Bible next to Jesus. Because David's trauma continued for his whole life, and he had a number of traumas throughout his whole life. You know, the first time that we see David, we see him in 1 Samuel chapter 16. The context of the story is, is that Saul, the first king of Israel, has rebelled against God, and God has removed his his authority of kingship from him, even though he's still, to all rights, sites, and everybody else, he's still king. God sends Samuel to the house of Jesse and tells Samuel on the way that one of David's sons is going to be king. One of Jesse's sons is going to be king. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house. He tells Jesse to bring out all of his sons. He begins to bless them, begins to, you know, just kind of bless them and pray over them. And he sees these amazing, handsome, strong, rugged, you know, men and, and young men that are there. And Samuel says, oh, this has got to be the one. This has got to be the one. This has got to be the one. So he goes through all these sons, and he gets to the end of the line, and God hasn't confirmed yet who is going to be king. And 
And so Samuel turns to Jesse and says, what's up? You know, who's, somebody's missing. And Jesse says, well, there's David. Many biblical commentators make the point that the reason why David wasn't included in that grouping of sons was not because he was just out taking care of the sheep. Because remember, the prophet's order to Jesse was to bring out all of your sons. That what could very well be the issue was that David was not considered to be a full son of the house. That he was not accepted that he was not, he really didn't belong the way the other boys belonged. It says in Psalm 51, when David is confessing his sin, he says, in sin, my mother conceived me. Now, a lot of religious folks have taken that verse, and I'm, I'm going to go here for just a second, and what they've done, they've taken that verse as meaning that any kind of sexual relations that is not about procreation is sinful. And that indeed, any kind of sexual relations, even between a husband and wife, have a tinge of sin to it. Well, I want to break the power of that lie in Jesus' name. It's not true in any way, shape, or form. And they took one little verse and created a whole doctrine of theology by which we can't enjoy sexual relationships as husbands and wives. Somebody say amen to me, will you? Yeah. What we really believe is happened is that when David said, in sin my mother conceived me, what he ta was talking about was that Jesse had an affair with another woman possibly a handmaiden or a concubine. And it was out of that, that affair that David was conceived. So David's, the, the, rest, it, you know, the rest of Jesse's sons were the conception of his relationship with his wife, except for David. And in this, brothers and sisters, we're going to talk about two traumas today. The first one is trauma A. And trauma A is when you don't receive from your parents that which your parents are supposed to give you. The things that God, when, when men and women have children, they're assigned by God to give their children certain things, what I call nutrients for the soul. And, when, uh, and the definition of trauma A is basically the absence of good things. That is, when you're not fully accepted as a child, when you're not giving the sense that you belong here, when you're not given the sense that you're truly loved and valued, when you're not given an identity that's positive and not negative, a positive identity, and when you're not given a sense of purpose and a future, that's trauma A. You may not have had any kind of physical abuse towards you, but there's this sense that you're like either a blank space or you're an accident. See, I have a good news. If you, if you felt like that you were an accident to your mom and dad, I want to say this to you. You may have been a surprise to mommy and daddy, but you were no surprise to God. That the very reason that you came out of your mother's womb was because God has always had a dream for your life. And he, his dream and thought of you began before you were even conceived in your mother's womb. 
that God had a beautiful dream about you, and he says, I want this son, I want this daughter on the earth so that we can have relationship together and we can grow together and they can be part of my family business, which is advancing the kingdom of God. But when you don't get that from your parents, it creates a a brokenness in your own soul where you struggle with your identity. You struggle with the sense of having a purpose and a future. You struggle with feeling like you belong anywhere. You, you, you struggle with even receiving love and you have difficulty trusting people because the two people that you were supposed to learn trust from broke your trust over and over and over and over again. And my brothers and sisters, that's trauma. That's the absence of good things. And how it develops in an adult is that you do not carry what I would call a resiliency of soul. That is, when bad things happen to you, you're able to kind of persevere and endure and push forward and not give up. Um, Many of us, quite frankly, and this is no judgment on you, but because you didn't get the nutrients of your soul that you needed from your parents, Anytime anything bad happens to you, you kind of become a basket case. It's like you all fall apart. You know, you, you know this is true about you. Now, I'm not cursing anybody this morning, so this is not going to happen. But if you were to walk out in the parking lot today and have a flat tire, if your first response is, well, of course, this always happens to me. If that's your response, you've got some issues going on in your soul. You think that bad things always happen to you all the time. You think that you're a victim. You think that your life is more framed and identified by all the bad things that have happened to you rather than all the good things that have happened to you. You're a victim. You're traumatized. Trauma A is the absence of good things. Trauma B is the presence of bad things. In 1 Samuel 17, we see David the next time. You know, he's been anointed king of Israel. So we're thinking, wow, all the family is probably celebrating him and saying, wow, we got a, we got a king in our family. This is awesome. You know, it's, they, they, they would move from tolerating him to celebrating him. But how many of you know that's not what happened? As a matter of fact, jealousy and envy and anger against him only escalated. And so the next time we see David, he's been called to be the Jimmy John's delivery boy to take lunch up to his brothers who are on the battlefield. And what's happening is that the nation of Israel is battling against the Philistines. They're in the Valley of Elah, and they're in a stalemate because Israel can't win the battle, neither can the Philistines. So the Philistines bring out Goliath. And Goliath is this champion of the Philistines, and basically the deal is that Israel is supposed to bring out their champion, and then whoever wins that battle, one nation is going to serve the other. Of course, everybody in Israel is scared to death, including Saul, who, by the way, Saul is the tallest guy in Israel. Did you know that? He's, he's head and shoulders above everybody else. So if he were truly the warrior king, he would go out and fight Goliath himself, but he ain't doing that. So David comes, and he brings, he brings uh, lunch to his brothers, and his brothers accuse him of bad motives and, and, and constantly putting labels on him. 
But David hears what's going on, and he says, isn't there anybody in the army of Israel that's going to fight this battle? And he says, if there's not, then I'm going to. And of course, you know the story. He takes his slingshot. He stands up against the giant. He takes one shot, knocks the giant in the head, and he goes face down on the ground. And for those of us that were brought up by our parents telling us Bible stories, that's where the story ends. But how many of you know that's not where the story ends? David takes Goliath's sword and chops off his head, and he lifts up, and that becomes a trophy for the armies of Israel. They actually, historians tell us that the army of Israel actually carried around Goliath's head for a while. That's, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? But anyway, it's gross, but it's real. <clears throat> and from that moment, David, the song about David among Israel is, Saul is slain as thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And he becomes a bloody man of war. He becomes a champion for Israel. Now, we preach messages about that, being giant slayers and all that other stuff. But let me tell you something. Teenage boys are not supposed to be cutting off people's heads. That's trauma. When you begin to be somebody who goes into the battlefield and kills thousands of people and that your main value in life is going and being a killing machine. No matter how much we want to celebrate that, the bottom line is that's trauma. That does something to the human soul because the human soul was never created to be sustaining that kind of bloody warfare. Y'all know that although God used war, God was, war was never part of God's purposes for this earth. Do y'all know that? So we have sacrificed the souls of many of our young men and women simply, be, simply because, obviously, we want freedom, but the problem is we don't understand what it does to their souls. How do we know that David suffered trauma? Well, have you read the Psalms lately? Have you read the roller coaster ride of the Psalms, where David can be up in the heights praising God and giving thanks to God, and, and, and praising God in, in his goodness and glory. And in the next psalm, he can be down in the absolute dumps, in the absolute depression and despair. He's saying, don't abandon my soul to Sheol, that, that type of thing. The next psalm, he's up here again. He's full of joy and happiness with God. And then in the very next psalm, he's down there saying, God, cut out the tongue of my enemies. Stab a, you know, stab a spear in their heart. Do something. Kill my enemies. Slaughter them, God. You know, like you and I on a daily basis. There's this sense of this roller coaster ride of emotions that very much mirrors a soul in trauma. I can't go through all of David's stories today, but I want you to know that David had trauma of every size and form in his life. Yet he gave this word, Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Later on in Psalm 147, the psalm, psalmist writes this, God heals all shattered hearts, and he binds up their wounds. Is that good news? When the prophet Isaiah came, and, and some of the words of this, of this prophecy were actually spoken this morning, the prophet Isaiah came, and in, in Isaiah 61, he made a declaration of what the ministry of Messiah would look like. In Isaiah 61, something, next slide if you would, 
should be familiar to you. It says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to the afflicted, to the traumatized, to the victimized, and to the outcasts. He has sent me, and, and this next verse is actually the first manifestation of the presence of Messiah. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, that is, to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to comfort those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland of beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the mantle or garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness or fainting, that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The ministry of Messiah was first of all to come and to heal the broken heart of the ravages of sin, iniquity, and transgression. But guys, how many of you know that sin, iniquity, and transgression are not the only things that break the human heart? That in reality, there are things that have happened to us that we still carry the wounds of that. We still carry the brokenness of it. It's as if we're carrying souls that have been shattered into pieces. That's literally what it means to be brokenhearted. The good news is, and, and there's, there's the definition, that we experiencing effects of trauma are not just a mental illness, but they're a soul injury. Now, in America, this is what we've done. We've told people who've been traumatized, okay, you've had a bad, bad thing. Now, just go get over it. You'll be okay. Just let time heal all wounds or have a little prayer and read your Bible more, go to church more, and everything will be okay. If I break my leg and I go to the doctor and my, my bone is out of joint and I go to the doctor and I say, Doc, my, my bone is broken, he'll say, oh, yeah, you're right, it's broken. Well, you know, it'll be okay. You, you'll get over it. It'll be all right. Eventually, it'll be all right. So just, just go ahead and just start walking on it. It'll, you know, I know it'll hurt at first, but it'll be okay. Eventually, time heals all wounds. It'll be okay. We would sue that doctor for malpractice because you know what it takes. You have to set a bone back into place. You have to immobilize it. You have to give the person some help to kind of walk in order to make that leg work again. Unfortunately, in our culture, and really unfortunately, in the body of Christ, we've told people who carry trauma, just pray more, come to church more, read the Bible more, and you'll get over it. Brothers and sisters, that day is ending in Jesus' name. We are, we are stepping into a level of faith where I've been training. I've trained over 10,000 people in this country and five other countries, including the nation of Ukraine, to bring healing prayer to trauma, no matter what the trauma is. So I've encountered not only military veterans and fire, firefighters, police officers, all first responders, but I've dealt with thousands of people who were abused as children, physically, sexually, mentally, emotionally. I've dealt with uh, people who've been involved and been captivated in sex trafficking. I've been involved with people who have been captured as a young child into satanic ritual abuse and have, have suffered the trauma of that. And over and over and over again, 
I see the faithfulness of God to the verse in Isaiah 61 that says he's come to bring good news to the poor, to the afflicted, to the traumatized, and to the brokenhearted. And he's come to heal the brokenhearted. Now here's what's, here's what's happening. What I see happening is this. As people begin to open their hearts to receive this from Holy Spirit, the first thing he does is he comes and he brings just the blood of Jesus Christ to bring forgiveness. The second thing he does is he breaks the power of shame, of guilt, and of condemnation off of people. You see, you need to understand, if you were raised up in a religious environment, shame and guilt and condemnation is something that you're very familiar with. Because many times, insecure leaders use shame, guilt, and condemnation to get people to do what they want them to do in their churches. But I want to say to you today that shame and guilt and condemnation is not to be any part of your life as a son or daughter of the loving Father. Shame says this, there's something wrong and bad about you. Guilt says you've done something wrong. And condemnation says you'll never change. I'm thankful that the scriptures declare, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Therefore, I have nothing to be ashamed of because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I have been completely forgiven of all of my sin because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I know, plus, I have no condemnation because I am a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. All things have become new. That's what's true about me and about you. Could you give me an amen? The spirit of trauma that, that comes and torments us with all the bad things that have happened to us tries to say to us, well, you know, this is just your life. You're going to have to carry this torment. You're going to have to carry this sorrow. You're going to be walking with heaviness and, 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 and mourning and sorrow and panic and fear. And Jesus comes and says, no, I did something to take care of all that. Before I went to the cross, this is Jesus talking, before I went to the cross, I gave my body, I gave my body to suffer at the hands of Roman soldiers. And if you've ever saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ, or any movies that, that, that chronicle that, the passion, you know that at one point Jesus was taken by Roman soldiers, and he was stripped naked, and he was tied to a whipping post. And excuse me, I'll do my best not to be too graphic for the children in the room. But literally, he was turned over to a professional torturer who had a cat of nine tails that had leather strips and pieces of bone and stone at the end of him. And Jesus went through the lashing of those 39 times. So much so that at the end of that torture session, he couldn't even be described as a, what would be, uh, Isaiah says, his visage was so marred. 
But it's in Isaiah 53, 5 that it says, by his stripes, literally by his wounds, literally by the trauma that he experienced in that, that moment, by his trauma, we are healed. So whether it's a physical body, whether it's mental issues, or whether it's the trauma that you've carried, there is nothing so deep, so painful, or so broken that Jesus' blood and the trauma that he went through can't heal in the name of Jesus. And what happens in this is that a couple of things, as we go through Isaiah 63, 61. We see, number one, not only did he shed his blood and give us the good news that we can be healed of this, but he literally breaks the chains of our captivity to the trauma. He opens the prison door so that our sentence of guilt and condemnation is canceled. And then he begins to do this amazing divine exchange of taking away our negative emotions, our negative feelings, and giving us feelings of joy, feelings of comfort, feelings of peace, feelings uh, of all of the weightiness of trauma coming off of us. And then the most amazing thing, he does an exchange of identity, where we go from being the poor, the afflicted, the traumatized, and the victimized, to now being oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's the key. Because you see, you need to understand something. Trauma is all about identity and the dream of God for your life. And the question is, what are you going to allow to define your life? See, if you allow your history to define your life, then you'll always be a sinner saved by grace. You'll always be somebody who feels like a second-class citizen. You'll always feel less than. You'll always allow trauma and the bad things that have happened to you or the bad things that you've done speak to you. But when you understand that you're no longer a sinner saved by grace, but instead you're a saint, you're a beloved child in whom God is well pleased, you step into the fullness of your identity as a healed, saved, delivered, filled with the Holy Ghost, mighty son or daughter of a loving father. Go to the next slide, if you would, please. You see, one of the things that, that we do in American society too many times is we take broken things and we cast them aside. We throw them away. We don't see broken things as something to be valued. But in Japanese art, they have this thing called kintsukuroi or kintsugi. And when a pot piece of pottery is broken, instead of just throwing it aside, they take gold or silver lacquer and they put the pieces back together again in such a way that the, it not only comes back to its original shape and design that the creator made it, but it actually becomes more beautiful and valuable for having been broken. Brothers and sisters, hear me as I end this time together. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute, but I want to give you the good news that no matter how broken your life has been, no matter how shattered you feel your soul is. No matter how much you have identified yourself with all the bad things that have happened to you in your life, the good news is, and I'm going to say it, you're going to repeat it, I am no longer defined by my history. What was done to me or what I have done, I am defined 
by who my papa calls me. He calls me his beloved child in whom he is well pleased. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you right now. I don't want you to do the religious thing. I don't want you to bow your head and close your eye. There's nothing in the Bible that says we have to close our eyes to pray. I like to pray with my eyes open. I like to see what the Holy Spirit's doing. And I, want to, I like to look at every one of you. So Holy Spirit, come in power right now. Come in power in this room in Jesus' name. Right now, search out every broken heart that is in this room. Father, no matter how broken, no matter how tormented, no matter how devastated they feel their lives are, I thank you that you take the most broken and devastated of lives and make them brand new creations in Jesus' name. So Holy Spirit, come in power right now. I declare to you in Jesus' name, because you've accepted the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sin, that you're forgiven of everything that you've ever done. Secondly, I declare to you in Jesus' name that as you are forgiven, that God will give you the grace to forgive all of those who have ever hurt you or wounded you, that you would know what it is to step into the grace of being completely disconnected from those that have traumatized you, abused you, or hurt you in any way, that you would set them free just by simply saying, Father, I forgive them, you forgive them, I release them in Jesus' name. Say that with me. Father, I forgive them, you forgive them, and I release them in Jesus' name. I break the power of shame, of, of guilt, and of condemnation over my life, and I declare, because of the blood of Jesus, I have nothing to be ashamed of, I am not guilty of anything, and I am not condemned. Now let me pray for you. In the name of, put your hand right here on your chest. In the name of Jesus, I pray right now for every shattered soul. I speak healing to your mind, to your will, to your emotions, and to your identity. I declare to you in Jesus' name, may your soul be restored to the original dream that God had for you when he first thought of you before you were conceived in your mother's womb. Let there come a restoration of the design of heaven for your life. Let there come a restoration of the dreams of God for your life in Jesus' name. And may you feel Holy Spirit coming and putting the pieces back together again in the name of Jesus. I also sever every assignment of the evil one against you. I sever the power of the spirit of trauma, the spirit of torment, the spirit of fear in the name of Jesus. Say this with me. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I have a sound mind because I have the mind of Christ. Therefore, I will not fear. I think God's thoughts, and I'm not going crazy. 
Receive that right now in Jesus' name. Receive that right now. Now, every single spirit of anger and rage, of murder, of death, and suicide, I bind you right now with the strong chains of the blood of Jesus. And I cast you away from every person in this room. I sever that assignment against you. I sever the assignment of mourning and grieving and sorrow in Jesus' name. And I bind you with the strong chains of the blood of Jesus, and I command you to leave right now in Jesus' name. And I declare over you right now, even as the Lord is healing your soul, he is giving you the shalom of God, which is not just peace, but the wholeness of God in Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something really, really weird, but you just got to trust me in this. Take your right hand and put it on the back right here of your head. Neuroscience tells us that this is where traumatic images and memories reside. Everybody keep looking at me. Don't get religious on me. In the name of Jesus, I speak to every traumatic image and memory that you carry. I speak to those traumatic images and memories, and I command them to dry up and die in Jesus' name. I sever the neural pathway that leads to those traumatic images and memories, and I cast down the strongholds, the imaginations, and the lofty things, the lies that the enemy has told you about yourself that are attached to those traumatic images and memories. I also sever your five senses, your seeing, your smelling, your tasting, your touching, and your hearing from being triggers to those traumatic images and memories. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I declare healing, and for your mind to be set free from these traumatic images and memories in Jesus' name. I command your memory centers to wake up, wake up, wake up. Let there be a free flow of memory from your hippocampus to the front part of your brain. And in the name of Jesus, I speak healing to your memories, to your short-term memory to be returned in the name of Jesus. And I also speak to your sleep center, and I declare over you Proverbs 3.24 that says, Because you walk in covenant with God, you shall no longer lie down in fear, but it's your Father's good pleasure to give his beloved children sweet sleep. So I restore the original ability to sleep six to eight hours of uninterrupted sleep every night. In the name of Jesus, I pray. My one last prayer. Holy Spirit, come and fill Every person in this room right now in Jesus' name, where trauma has occupied, Holy Spirit, come and fill that place to overflowing so that no, no demonic entity can come back and influence it anymore. And Father, may you raise up in this church and in this region our, an army of heart healers and chain breakers that will bring this good news to everybody that they meet. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. give thanks to God, will you, everybody?